0: Law and order prevails. I'm Jessica Denson, and this is Lights On. Donald J. Trump has had a lot of titles over his years that he did not earn, but now he finally has one he deserves, federal criminal defendant. This is such a momentous and historic week for democracy. So many victories. We of course have this Trump indictment, 38 counts in the Southern District in Florida. There was also a massive development in my case this week that I have been fighting for years, the Trump NDA case. I'm gonna share that with you. And I have just the most wonderful guest. I'm so uh, grateful to have him with me on a day like today, Bradley Moss national security attorney. As he says in his Twitter profile, he talks on TV sometimes. I'm so glad that he's here with us today to talk to us on Lights On. Welcome, Brad.
1: Thank you so much, Jessica, happy to
0: help. Well, let's just start off. We have today this unsealed indictment. 31 counts of willful retention of national security information, one conspiracy to obstruct justice, one count of withholding a document or record, one of corruptly concealing a document or record, one of concealing a document in a federal investigation, one scheme to conceal and two false statements and representations. Brad just right off the bat, I mean we we've seen we've all seen this indictment at this point we know that Donald Trump was uh, moving boxes around from bathrooms to bedrooms to um, dining halls. Give us your perspective on just the gravity of this indictment of Donald Trump in the context of the work that you do in the national security field.
1: Sure, so this is a serious and rather dangerous moment for Donald Trump. This indictment, much more than what we saw come out of Manhattan with the Hush Money case, This indictment truly threatens to put him in prison for a significant period of time if this gets to trial and if he is convicted. The description outlined in the indictment, and of course, what's in the indictment is not the full range of factual information. Uh, Jack Smith's team will have to outline all of that at trial. It'll be a very lengthy factual presentation, no doubt, through witness testimony and documents and video. But the facts that we do know from this indictment make very clear that Donald Trump was aware that boxes had been moved to Mar-a-Lago that still contained uh, national defense information, specifically classified information, still had classification markings on it. He knew that he wasn't allowed to continue to hold on to classified information. He wasn't supposed to be showing it to anybody, wasn't supposed to be keeping it anywhere at Mar-a-Lago. And that when he was requested to return it by first the National Archives, and then ultimately the Justice Department, he balked, he stalled, he jerked them around, he tried to evade subpoenas. According to the indictment, he had Walt Nauda, his body man, moving boxes in and out of the storage room to conceal documents from Evan Corcoran, who was the lawyer who was about to go in there to sort through the the documents in the boxes in order to comply with an FBI subpoena last June. He did everything he could to put himself in this situation. He is facing This indictment and these 38 uh, charges, sorry, counts under seven different charges because of his own actions, because if he had handled this properly, if he had simply returned those documents saying, sorry, my bad, we didn't mean to take that stuff with us, the Justice Department would never have pursued this as an indictment. It would never have gotten this far. There never would have been a special counsel. He is here because of his own actions.
0: And thank God he finally is. I mean, this is somebody who has skated accountability for literally his entire life, you know, Brad, I think back to Trump Soho. I often think of that as the first missed opportunity to indict Trump on fraud charges and just so many opportunities. I, of course, um, you know, have taken full stock of my vast ignorance of who this man was before I went to work for him in 2016. Um, But there were just so many uh, criminal um, it's such a criminal path on the way to his, to the White House. Um, and that he then of course, just doubled down on throughout his presidency all the way until he walked out that door with these documents. Um, But, you know, obviously his his legal team is gonna constantly try to paint this as a political witch hunt. They're gonna try to act like it's election interference. For God's sakes, the guy runs for election again to try to give himself an excuse to not be indicted on his prior criminality. But just bring us down to earth on kind of the dangerous nature of his having possession of these these documents how they could have compromised human sources and just our entire uh national defense
1: sure so there is a, a catalog of inventory of the types of documents that the government is relying upon for the basis for this willful retention uh, counts in the indictment it outlines you know foreign uh government information defense capabilities nuclear weaponry both in the u.s and other countries intelligence intercepts our understanding of uh how our defensive fortifications would hold up in the face of a military attack attack any number of issues that are usually very tightly held closely you know held secrets within the intelligence community and within the defense department and the reason we put so much time so much effort so much money into securing these records isn't because if one or two of them got out the world you know the country would collapse and our national security would you know would you know implode but because every time you lose control over these documents every time a foreign adversary an intelligence official a foreign government gets a hold of some of this information it takes just another chink out of the armor it weakens the u.s national security posture just a little bit more that's why we have things like secure facilities where these documents are held that's why there's highly uh, sensitive and extremely expensive to maintain mechanisms and databases that, that the uh, U.S. government officials use to transmit and work on these documents. We do this because the interest in national security requires it so that other adversaries, other governments can't get a hold of the information and take steps to undermine our national security. And what he did showed just how much none of that mattered to him. Just how much he thought he could skate he can get away with this just like you had mentioned with the soho option just as it happened back in the 70s and 80s with the apartment buildings he yeah. has a history of believing no matter no no uh, no law enforcement entity no governmental entity can ever hold him accountable he can outlast everyone and he's done that for most of his life so he had reason to believe he could pull it off But he finally got some justice today. He finally got held to account, at least in the beginning steps now, with this indictment. Whether or not he'll be convicted is ultimately not up to you or me. That'll be up to a jury of his peers. But this is the first step in holding him accountable for his actions.
0: It certainly is. And as Jack Smith said today, it was not Jack Smith that brought this indictment. It was a grand jury that voted for it in, in Florida. Um, and let's, let's just take a listen. We didn't get a whole lot out of Jack Smith, but we heard his voice today. Let's, let's listen to Jack Smith's uh, announcement of this indictment.
2: Good afternoon. Today, an indictment was unsealed. Charging Donald J. Trump with felony violations of our national security laws, as well as participating In a conspiracy to obstruct justice. This indictment was voted by a grand jury of citizens in the Southern District of Florida. And I invite everyone to read it in full, to understand the scope and the gravity of the crimes charged. The men and women of the United States intelligence community and our armed forces dedicate their lives to protecting our nation and its people. Our laws that protect national defense information are critical to the safety and security of the United States, and they must be enforced. Violations of those laws put our country at risk. Adherence to the rule of law is a bedrock principle of the Department of Justice, and our nation's commitment to the rule of law sets an example for the world. We have one set of laws in this country, and they apply to everyone. Applying those laws, collecting facts, that's what determines the outcome of an investigation. Nothing more and nothing less. The prosecutors in my office are among the most talented and experienced in the Department of Justice. They have investigated this case hewing to the highest ethical standards and they will continue to do so as this case proceeds. It's very important for me to note that the defendants in this case must be presumed innocent until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt in a court of law. To that end, my office will seek a speedy trial in this matter consistent with the public interest and the rights of the accused. We very much look forward to presenting our case to a jury of citizens in the Southern District of Florida. In conclusion, I would like to thank the dedicated public servants of the Federal Bureau of Investigation with whom my office is conducting this investigation and who work tirelessly every day upholding the rule of law in our country. I'm deeply proud to stand shoulder to shoulder with them. Thank you very much. Why Florida,
0: Nothing more and nothing less than one set of laws applying to everyone. Pretty much says it all, doesn't it, Brad?
1: Yes, very much so. And let's be clear. This is how the Justice Department is supposed to handle things. This is how the process is supposed to work. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what political affiliation you have. The law is supposed to apply equally to you, me, and everybody else. Now we know in reality, there's always, you know, some levels of nuance and gray there. And truth be told, if Donald Trump had cooperated originally and had not engaged in the obstructive acts, the Espionage Act violations likely would have been, dis, you know, disregarded and they would have been, everybody would have been happy just to get the documents back. But because of what he did, he is now being held to account with this indictment. We'll see what happens with the other special counsel that we know is going on looking into President Biden's actions and that social counsel will take whatever action they deem appropriate. But for the moment, just as much as any other security clearance holder, just as much as any other person who had been authorized to access the classified information, Donald Trump is being held to account under the rules, under the US code, and under the Constitution of the United States. This is how it's supposed to work. It's not perfect, it's not pretty, but this is the way the rule of law and criminal justice in this country is supposed to proceed, and that's what's happening so far.
0: Brad, in your practice, have you ever come across parties with clearances holding documents such as these in their bathroom?
1: No, that's a hard no.
0: Hard no. Not in their shower or in their white and gold ballroom?
1: No, mostly just because most of them know that the white and gold ballroom just looks really tacky, but beyond that, no. (laughs) no.
0: Well the other thing, one other thing that we learned from the indictment today is that in fact there was a lot of discussion last week when we learned about that audio from Bedminster um, that it was, we weren't sure if it was actually a classified document and the special counsel alleges in this unsealed indictment that um, the Iran attack plan that was referenced in that Bedminster audio was in fact a classified document. Um, Isn't that an extraordinary risk to U.S. national security? I mean wouldn't brad foreign adversaries pay tens of millions of dollars for that kind of information
1: of course easily and we know that mar-a-lago was just rife with intelligence vulnerabilities there were foreign nationals going in there some of whom got indicted later on for their actions trying to infiltrate mar-a-lago it certainly wasn't secure by any means and these boxes were sitting everywhere they're sitting in the bathroom they're sitting you know in the ballroom on the stage anybody could have gotten a hold of them and that's a risk the u.s government could not tolerate anymore. And in terms of the Iran war document, you know, and I don't believe that's actually cited as a specific point for one of the underlying counts, but rather is a factual background. That goes to Donald Trump's knowledge, his awareness, and his intent, that he understood that he had documents in his possession that were still classified. He he, he knew he no longer had the ability to declassify them. He knew he had not declassified them before leaving. And he did not return them to the United States government. They still do not have them. We don't know where they are, which is a terrifying thought on its own. But that just is one more piece of this factual foundation that you're going to see when this gets to trial as to how much Donald Trump really did understand the process, how much he was aware of how this is supposed to work. And how much he disregarded all of that to act and as, as his own judge, jury and executioner on what is and is not legally permissible when it comes to classified documents,
0: yeah. well, as a former staffer of the Trump campaign, I will say one thing about Donald Trump. he's often he's often, you know, um, ridiculed as as a crazy person or as a lunatic. Um, this is somebody who who i have I have repeated this so often. He knows what he is doing. He has complete knowledge. He is not a stupid person. He is constantly calculating what is in his best interest. And he has quite the mental capacity to do that with intent and with knowledge. And I just remember, Brad, I mean, after after January 6th, where it just felt like there was such a slow track to possible prosecution for Trump, such a such a resistance to charge a former president. There was so much discussion of, yeah, yeah, he did this in X and Y and Z, but where is the mens rea? How do we prove intent? Isn't this indictment just loaded with th- what that proof that we need of intent of mens rea?
1: This indictment has an extensive amount of information and is rather clean and precise in outlining his awareness, the mens rea, his intent to hold on to the documents and the actions he took, particularly the obstructive aspects, to ensure that these documents weren't returned to the U.S. government when they're supposed to. That's got to be the biggest problem for him going forward is that when it comes to this case, there's not a lot about the facts he's going to be really able to fight on. He can nitpick, you know, if this gets to trial, his lawyers will try to nitpick the sufficiency of the government's evidence, the extent to which uh, witnesses are relying on, you know, hearsay or relying on impressions, and spec, you know, and opinions on what people meant about things, but they're not gonna generally be able to deny that certain things occurred. Their goal at trial, if it gets there, isn't even necessarily to get a not guilty verdict it's going to be to get a hung jury their g- goal is going to be to put enough doubt about the f- good faith of the prosecutors about the intent of donald trump was innocent mistakes maybe he was a little reckless but not intentionally you know w- and willfully retaining the documents they're looking for one juror to hang the jury and that's all they will need to in order to get uh, a hung jury in order to avoid conviction at trial if it ever gets that far
0: I think back to some of the convictions that came out of the Mueller investigation, um, particularly Paul Manafort. I'll never forget that one Trump-supporting juror who was on that on that jury. And you would think, possibly, that someone like her would have been reluctant to hold Donald Trump's former campaign manager um, guilty of a crime. But she, very gratefully, and I think I think we can hopefully look to this that that there is um, that there are going to be fair-minded people who put. Donald Trump in the position of like Jack Smith was outlining any criminal defendant um, and and do not give him the benefit of the doubt and do not buy into this gaslighting. I of course have been dealing with this legal, uh, this legal diversionary um, strategy for, I don't know, going on six years now in my case, my cases against the Trump campaign. So I'm very familiar with it, but um, I'm I'm very hopeful that that we get a a fair jury pool that is not distracted, that does not latch on to one little um, tiny bit of doubt that Donald Trump tries to sow. By his gaslighting, but talking about Jory Pool and jurisdiction and venue, we of course um, have this have this indictment in the Southern District of Florida. Um, the reporting is because of this pending Supreme Court decision that could have completely um, had a a possible conviction thrown out if it would had been determined um, that the department Department of Justice did not pick the correct venue, right
1: correct yeah there was a real legitimate concern that if they brought this case in dc which is where the investigation started because that's when the documents were first returned to the national archives back in early 2022 fbi gets a hold of it they start running an investigation out of the national security division out of dc and the justice department opens a grand jury out in dc to start gathering information but when jack smith's team ultimately looked at what they had too much of the fat information, too many of the predicate acts for this these criminal charges took place in Florida. The documents were with stored there. The with with retention of them happening there. The obstructive acts happened there. The connection to DC was too tenuous. They couldn't take that risk of this either getting tossed in pretrial motions or being tossed on or being reversed on appeal if venue had been allowed in DC. And, you know, look, you mentioned the jury pool in the Manafort case. I will also mention the jury pool in Trump's own civil case in New York. That Absolutely. was filled almost entirely with people who hated, hated Donald Trump. But even then, they took their job seriously. They did not find him liable on the top issue in the civil case, which was rape. They felt that, you know, Jean Carroll had not proven her case. And the reason I think that occurred is because in the end, despite all of our political differences, despite all the, you know, tribalism and people screaming at each other on TV, Americans, by and large, are decent people. They take their oath as a juror seriously and they will come in and do their job properly. So while I know some people have some anxiety and heartache, you know, concern about this being brought in South Florida, I am convinced that if the jury you're gonna trust the jury process at all. You got trusted everywhere and not just in your favorite venue and it certainly would undercut some of the political arguments you would expect from the trump team if this had been brought in dc they would say oh it's a dc jury it doesn't matter this is now going to be brought in south florida that's a far more favorable area for donald trump if they convict him even there that undermines some of those political attacks that they otherwise would make
0: well, Brad, if you could also level set the anxiety that I think we all got this morning when we found that Judge Eileen Cannon's name was on uh, the summons, I think, to Donald Trump and also, of course, the magistrate judge, um, Bruce Reinhardt, who signed the FBI search warrant. Where, uh, where can we expect Judge Eileen Cannon's or Judge Eileen Cannon's oversight of this case to begin and end? Do you think it only goes through the arraignment or do you think she stays on this case beyond that?
1: So she certainly will be there for the arraignment, and that's partially due to the fact that the search warrant came from that magistrate judge, and she had already had involvement tied to the original fight over a special master. I have a feeling that's why that started that way. I expect there to be some discussion and a bit of you know legal maneuvering about whether or not she'll be allowed to remain, remain on the case, if there'll be a motion to have her recuse, uh, given what transpired earlier. Either way, even if she does remain on this case, there's two reasons why I would caution people not to start having anxiety attacks over the idea of her, you know, overseeing this case notwithstanding what happened several months ago with her rulings, with which I completely disagreed. One is she got pretty brutally reversed by the 11th Circuit in a unanimous opinion. No district court judge likes that, particularly a very new one that's going to hurt a little bit that doesn't speak too well of their reputation and their professional analysis. So there's going to be an extent to which she's going to be cognizant of how the 11th Circuit already viewed her analysis of these issues. The second reason is that was a debate over what, how to handle you know, review of documents in the context of a search warrant now there's an indictment now it's a full-blown criminal matter there's charges already leveled her the scope of her authorities is more restricted but more so now there's something more concrete before her other than just the hysteria around the search warrant and so when it comes to these pre-trial motions if she's overseeing it i wouldn't expect donald trump is going to necessarily be able to pull off what he was able to pull off once before because the government has all the information now It has more than just its own affidavits. It has documentation. It has a far more concrete case it can make to Judge Cannon that it could not make during that first go around.
0: So you think that um, she was assigned because of the the prior assignment, even notwithstanding that the 11th Circuit determined that she didn't have jurisdiction? That would still be a natural thing?
1: Correct. Yeah, I think that's why she's at least for the moment assigned to it, similar to how uh, the judge in New York who has the hush money criminal case was also involved in another case involving Mr. Trump just because of the familiarity with the issues. So I certainly believe that's why she has the case for the moment. We will not know likely for at least another week or so whether or not she will maintain uh, presiding over the case. We'll find out when we find out and the process will play out However, it's going to play out. Again, this is the federal judiciary. This is the justice system. You don't get to pick and choose who your judge is going to be. Sometimes it's just the luck or the lack of luck of the draw. But if there is a serious issue of legal or erroneous legal rulings in the pretrial motions, the government has the ability to seek an immediate appeal before it ever gets to trial in case Judge Cannon were to go too far. We'll cross that bridge if we ever come to it.
0: I wanna touch on a few other things involving uh, Trump's co-defendant, Walt Nauta. This is of course his valet, a former uh, Navy vet. Um, who has, um, according to the special counsel, he said he was not aware of Trump's boxes being brought to the residence for review before the 15 boxes were sent to NARA. He said he did not know how the boxes took to the NARA truck got to the residence. And when asked whether he knew Trump's boxes had been stored before they were in the residence, he falsely, according to this indictment, responded, I wish I could tell you I don't. No, I don't. I honestly just don't know. And so um, based on those statements, um, having been found to be false, he is he has also been criminally indicted. Now, earlier this week, Brad, we had um, news that his lawyer, Stanley Woodward, had filed a complaint of pros- prosecutorial, prosecutorial misconduct against Jay Bratt, who's the chief of counterintel- the counterintelligence section. And I kind of saw this before it came out. I kind of felt like, This was going to I saw it previewed in Tim Parlatore's media tour, I think, uh, earlier this week with Lawrence O'Donnell. He was complaining about the conduct of Jay Bratt. Do you think and by the way, his his allegation in this um, complaint is that uh, Jay Bratt in, in a meeting to try to get the cooperation of Walt, Walt Nauta um, said he knew that Walt Nauta's attorney was applying to be a judge. So somehow, perhaps implicating that he could have some kind of, you know, influence over his judge application. Um, a stretch, isn't it, for prosecutorial misconduct?
1: A serious stretch. Again, this yeah. is a political talking point masquerading as a legal complaint. So to be clear, what if what if we... If we take at face value what is alleged to have occurred, if we assume Jay Bratz said what is alleged against him, it was, in my view, inappropriate and kind of stupid for, you know, to have said, oh, I do like, hey, maybe not. It was just, it should not have happened. It was really not a professional remark to make in that context and it was unnecessary. But I don't see any way in how it's prosecutorial mis- misconduct. He didn't promise him a judgeship or say, we'll dangle it, or say, we won't give it, we won't get it. He has no control over that decision anyways. He has no authority over who does or does not get selected. And there's no evidence from the allegation that they said something along the lines of, uh, you know, your guy better flip on Trump or else you'll lose out on this judgeship. It was a really, you know, uh, it was an improper but not not great side comment but it didn't cross any ethical or legal lines in my view and it's just them throwing stuff at the wall desperate to smear this with any you know s- any hint of prosecutorial misconduct that they can this isn't going to go very far if they were to bring this up at uh in pretrial motions it won't go very far because over the last 20 30 40 years a lot of the law and order policies especially that conservatives pushed Developed case law that expanded and made clear just how much leeway investigators, and prosecutors have when interacting with witnesses, potential defendants, and their lawyers. They're allowed to lie to people. They're allowed to engage in extensive, you know, uh, interrogation and questioning, and it doesn't cross the line. If for anybody who you know is you know a Netflix binger like myself, you know that there's a kid. I say kid; he's probably an adult now, but there's a young man sitting in jail in Wisconsin. Based solely off a coerced confession that the Seventh Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals found was voluntary, despite the fact that he was 16, his mother wasn't in the room, and he had limited intellectual capacity. Guess what? That was still found to be voluntary. The uh, law enforcement has tons of discretion on how far they can push this, and the courts will permit it in the interest of law and order. And this is just this uh, that authority being used against one of Trump's team now and they don't like what they've created over the years.
0: Yeah, I love that you bring that issue of course confessions because it's just one aspect of our judicial system when it when we don't get it right where people are wrongfully imprisoned um, I've mentioned so many times on this show and just in 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 my fight and insistence that Donald Trump be held criminally accountable the inequity of someone like him with the gravity of his criminal misconduct not being charged in the face of so many people for such lesser offenses or no offenses at all. Um, having their lives materially materially altered spending years in prison um, oftentimes being put to death wrongfully for crimes they didn't commit um, isn't this just to me this this indictment and hopefully following through um with a conviction it, to me it's a levity it's a it's a it's a um, evening, it's it is showing what Mike Pence, the spineless man that he is, said he wanted equal treatment of the law in one breath and then saying, don't tr- uh, prosecute Donald Trump in the next. But this really is equal treatment of the law. Isn't it just to me? It's like <sighs> just an exhaling for the entire country that justice can be equally meted out.
1: Yeah, It's karma. Is what I it. <laughs> It's karma because look, this was always the idea, you know, this is uh, what conservatives were always very good at, was the idea that there needed to be true law and order, that there needed to be justice, that people commit a crime, you hold them to account. That was the policy, that was what they used for political victories for many years, how they got elected to various offices, and that, those are the policies in the case law that they helped fashion. But what they always forgot was, okay, but it's going to apply to everybody, not just the kid on the street selling crack. It's going to also apply to you, white collar, you know, criminal defendant. And the same policies that apply to that kid on the street corner are going to apply to you. And the same authorities that the law enforcement officer has with that kid on the street corner are going to apply to you. And the Trump team and their acolytes and their cronies are all horrified that this happens, They loved when it was Trump sent, telling the cops, you know, you can take the kid, you know, take the guy, you pick up for a drug offense and just smash his head against the door. You know, don't be too gentle as you put him in the car. They'd be horrified if that happened to them. But they thought it was funny when Donald Trump said it about somebody else. This is karma. This is the chickens coming home to roost. And all those policies and all that law that they helped fashion over the years is now being used against them and they never thought it would happen.
0: Yeah, that framing is um, really touches, really hits home for me because I, of course, bought into that propaganda for years. You know, I brought into this is the this is the this is the party, the Republicans, the GOP that's going to keep us safe. They're the ones that are going to go after the bad guys. And it turns out this is all just a projection strategy to cover their own crimes and really, um, you know, vilify often uh, through a very racist um, lens, a certain sect. Sector of society um, and portray them as the criminals who are endangering our country when the most dangerous criminals are at the top of the <laughs> of the Grand Old Party, and it, this was really fleshed out in the presidency of Donald Trump. I think he, um, you know, as I talk about often, I think he really brought to the surface a rot in the Republican Party has, that has really been there for years, um, and and it's it's so it's tragic but not surprising with what I have learned about the character or lack thereof of these people that at this moment they would yet dig in once again. They would not distance themselves from him. They would continue to do his bidding as his criminality is fleshed out more and more. Um, but let's take a quick break, Brad, for our sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about handling that criminality of Trump, um, through my case.
3: Ben Micell is here. Breed some life into your own backyard with fastgrowingtrees.com this spring from shade to fresh fruit to privacy and natural beauty. Let fastgrowingtrees.com help you plant your dream garden with their expert advice and fast, reliable shipping. FastGrowingTrees.com's plant experts curate thousands of easy-to-grow plant shrub and tree varieties for your unique climate. Meyer lemons to evergreens and everything in between. Happy plants, happy home, right? But sometimes it's hard to know which plants will do best. No problem, because with fastgrowingtrees.com, you get customized recommendations based on your specific needs. Plus, their plant experts are always available to help keep your plants growing healthy through the season and beyond. No more waiting in long lines and hauling heavy plants around with fastgrowingtrees.com. You order online and your plants arrive at your door in just a few days. I love fast-growing trees because I found the Alberta peach tree I was looking for at a great price, and you will too. And with fast-growing trees, 30-day alive and thrive guarantee, you know everything will look great fresh out of the box. Join over 1.5 million happy Fast Growing Trees customers. So go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash lights on now to get 15% off your entire order. Get 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash lights on. That's fastgrowingtrees.com slash lights on. Now, back to the show.
0: So as I mentioned, we had an extraordinary uh, victory in our case this week. If you watch this show, you're familiar with my battle to invalidate Donald Trump's illegal non-disclosure agreement. Of course, I was successful on that back in 2021 on an individual basis. We had a court precedent ruling that that NDA, which says that people are silenced for life, that they can not ever criticized Donald Trump that anything that he says is confidential is confidential um, was ruled in invalid and unenforceable. And I've continued that fight over the past several years to get that decision certified on a class-wide basis to invalidate that NDA for everyone who ever worked for the 2016 Trump campaign. Well, this week, we got a preliminary order granting preliminary certification of the class so that that will go into class-wide effect pending a fairness hearing in October. Um, I wanted to share that news with you. I think it's uh, amazing, very gratifying and coincidental that it's happening on this same week that Donald Trump is federally indicted. To me, this has always been a fight about transparency and about not having something, having this mechanism by way of this illegal non-disclosure agreement out there to allow Donald Trump to get away with more criminality. This frees people to speak the truth.
1: Yeah, no, it's been a fantastic case to watch of yours for several, you know, for years now, as we see this get, you know, peeled, the various layers get peeled back piece by piece. I think what should hopefully come out of your case and the related cases, um, I think Omarosa may, hers might still be ongoing, is that there has to be a limit, there has to be some measure of reasonableness in terms of how far these NDAs go, because look, there are always going to be non-disclosure agreements, both the private and public sector, and there is a time and place for non-disclosure agreements, particularly when it comes to proprietary information, when it comes to trade secrets. There's any number of legitimate, understandable reasons to have an NDA, to have it apply to certain things for certain time frames. What the Trump team did and what Donald Trump himself clearly had been relying on for years was these like lifetime NDAs to silence people on anything and everything. And he got away with it for a long time because one, he had enough money to basically outlast anybody who would ever sue him on it. But two, no one really cared enough to fight him over this long term because he was just the reality TV guy who ran his mouth a lot and kept you know, trading in and trading out wives every you know, 10, 15 years. So it never got to that point. But the worst thing that could happen to him was not that just that he ran for president, but that he won because it brought all this to the forefront. And then there was finally a, a significant public interest aspect to it of people willing, such as yourself, to fight back on these NDAs and to make sure that they, going forward, are more narrowly construed, and more narrowly framed out, so that they are more appropriate, not just for the, between the parties, but for the public interest and in the interest of transparency. There's a time and a place for an NDA. There's a reason why certain things might need to be withheld between the parties But this universal anything I ever say, you can never talk about, and you can never talk about me or disparage me, is plainly ridiculous, and that's why your case has gone forward, and I'm glad, happy to continue watching it going forward. Mm
0: Yeah, I'm 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 so grateful as you mentioned Omarosa's case. Her actually hers was resolved a few years ago with the application of our precedent in the her ongoing arbitration proceeding. So our precedent um, was able to uh, enable her victory in in her arbitration proceeding. Also, another woman named Alva Johnson. These are these are the high profile cases. But the thing about these agreements that's so pernicious, as you know, uh, Brad, is that they're arbitration agreements. So my my trajectory through the courts was extremely Extraordinary. I I initially sued in court to invalidate the NDA. They pushed me into arbitration. I lost, had a $50,000 judgment against me. I get it overturned. They said, sue us in arbitration. So I bring a class action in arbitration. They reject the class action arbitration because they think I'm never going to have the $50,000 judgment overturned. They miscalculate. I get it overturned. And then I sue them in court, which they told me to do. They said, if she wants to bring her class action, which we're now rejecting in arbitration. She has to do it in court. And so there you go, Trump campaign. We did it in court and we ended up just through um, like this divine, as I've described it, trajectory through arbitration in the courts, getting this court precedent um, that that applied to the high profile cases. But also the, the beauty of the class action is that there could be hundreds, literally there could be so many unknown Behind closed doors, hidden cases where people want to speak out, where people have either have a grievance or just um, have something that they want to say truthfully, and they are being threatened with financial ruin, like I am, to not speak the truth to the American people, um, and and that's coming to an end. So um, I'm very grateful for that. Um, Brad, thank you so much for joining us today. I I so enjoyed your insight. Before you leave, if you can kind of just Tell us where you think you see the special counsel going with the January 6th case.
1: Sure. So as far as I can tell, this is going to be sort of a wide ranging and all encompassing conspiracy to defraud case that the special counsel will bring with respect to January 6th. What it will essentially be is the events leading up to and culminating with January 6th in terms of Trump's interactions with the fake electors. The interactions with people like Jeffrey Clark at the Justice Department to get Justice Department to intervene on his behalf, his interactions with John Eastman and the senators to try to overturn things um, on, on the certification day of January 6 itself. It was a long, very complicated, extensive conspiracy with multiple different parts all designed to defraud the united states by overturning the election and preventing the electoral certification of the actual winner who was joe biden and instead permit donald trump to remain in office there may be additional you know subsidiary uh, charges brought as part of it but to me the core of the case is conspiracy to defraud i think it's going to be a very serious and troubling case for donald trump it is a far murkier and constitutionally problematic case for Jack Smith, which is part of the reason why it's taken so long compared to the classified documents case. It's gonna get tied up in all kinds of issues of the power of the presidency because all these actions took place while Donald Trump was still president and still had all those authorities under the constitution. There's gonna be a lot of very complicated and uh, abstract legal debates to have in pretrial motions over the authority of a president and the extent of their abilities to interact with you know state and local officials um and to coordinate actions they believe to be in the interest of the united states and it's not going to be as clean cut as the classified documents case i don't expect that the january 6th case for example to make it the trial before the 2024 election i do see the classified documents case getting there before the election
0: do you think jack smith indicts um over january 6th before funny willis in georgia and do you think it matters
1: i don't think he does it before funny willis and no i don't think it matters if he went first Cool. If he didn't, cool. Because in the end, Trump's already been indicted twice. He's almost certainly getting indicted now in Georgia in August. And at some point, whether it's next month, August, September, we presume Jack Smith will indict him on January 6th as well. All these are going to have. You know, overlapping and you know interlocking schedules—they're going to start conflicting with each, other, with each other. He's going to have a campaign schedule that's going to start becoming a problem. He's got the civil trial for his company that's coming up soon. So whether it's Funny Willis first or Jack Smith first, it's all going to be a problem for him. And the biggest issue is even if he were to become president again, or even if an ally such as Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley were to become president in 2025. They can only pardon him on federal charges they can't pardon him on the manhattan case they can't pardon him on the georgia case and there's no way uh governor kemp out in georgia is going to do donald trump any favors (laughs) right about now when it comes to the georgia case
0: yeah i think that that if this is just a shower of indictments donald trump is not walking away from it this time he he is facing the music brad bradley bradley moss thank you so much for joining us such a great day to have you on and i really really appreciate your time
1: Of course, anytime.
0: Thank you. So from Jack Smith indicting Donald Trump to my victory in the NDA case to the US Supreme Court striking down Alabama's congressional map and upholding the Voting Rights Act, this has been an extraordinary week for democracy. In a 5-4 decision, the Supreme Court struck down a map that was really just um, restricting the voices of black voters in Alabama. Uh, This is a case called Allen versus Milligan. And it is really, really significant because it, um, they decided the Supreme Court not to strike down section two of the Voting Rights Act. And this is gonna have implications in other cases and in a pending case in Louisiana. Um, This is such an important, tool to fight back voter suppression, especially in the South, you know, on lights on I've interviewed, um, representative Gloria Johnson of Tennessee, where they have had such an aggressive attack on democracy. So to see these kind of victories in places like Alabama, where there have been notorious attacks on the voting rights of, especially people of color, um, to have this upheld was a major, major victory. And really interestingly, right after this ruling came out, which really tells you just how just how um, detrimental and silencing of the will of the people these gerrymandered vote, uh, voting maps are, um, the Cook Political Report changed the rating of five house races, um, two in Alabama, two in Louisiana, and one north, in North Carolina, the two Alabama, races went from solid Republican to toss-up, from solid Republican to toss-up. This is what happens when when maps are drawn to legitimately reflect the demographics or the, the geographics of an area and politicians are not picking their voters. If you've ever seen gerrymandered maps, you just see through the pure visual how insane it is um, for cutting out regions to literally pick voters and eliminate the voices of in most cases in the south people of color um i just hope this is a resurgence of democracy or a the beginning of the, a turn a shift in these what have been known as very deep red states and are just not necessarily deeply red this is this has been the effect of politicians suppressing the will of the voters. And this week in the Supreme Court, um, we, we are starting to uh, get away from that in Alabama at least. So very good news there. Um, as I always talk about on Lights On, the consequences of impunity are dire. We are finally addressing those, cons- those that impunity in this country. I'm so grateful for that. I don't wanna turn a blind eye to what is happening around the world. As I've mentioned before, Donald Trump's best fascist friend is over in Russia and the Ukraine just raining down terror. I think this is the consequence of decades of impunity for Vladimir Putin, and it did not stop this week. We cannot afford to turn a blind eye to what is going on in Ukraine. This week, Ukrainians, there was a back and forth, Russian blaming Ukrainians, Ukrainians blaming Russians, but um, I think it's pretty clear who the propagandists are here, and pretty good evidence that, Russian terrorists destroyed a Ukrainian dam. This was the Novakovka Dam, 50 miles upriver from Kherson, and Ukrainian officials say that it was destroyed from inside by Russians occupying forces who controlled the dam. This is just so devastating with this, um, the Ukrainian population who is already dealing with war. They are now dealing with flooding. Uh, there are thousands of Ukrainian c- citizens that live in and around the Dnipro River uh, downstream of this destroyed dam. And they were just in melee following this immense flooding uh, I want to play a clip of some of the rescues that went on in Kherson this week, literally rescuing people while Russians were firing down alt- artillery on citizens and um, some other extraordinary uh, rescues of, of animals by these brave Ukrainians who have endured so much and too much at the hands of terrorists named Vladimir Putin. <laughs> Сейчас мы тебя достанем, сейчас, сейчас, сейчас я буду за тобой нырять, подожди. Так, песик, нашли песика на островке из ковра, сейчас Андрюха спасет ее. Маленький, иди сюда, не бойся, ты в надежных руках, маленький. Our actions to hold these people accountable is are so vital, so important. We've made so much progress this week and we can't afford to stop or look down. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Lights On. Thank you to my guest, Bradley Moss, and our sponsors. And as always, if you would like to support me in my ongoing fight against the Trump campaign, you can do that at thejessicadenson.com donate, thejessicadenson.com donate. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful week and celebrate these amazing victories. We love our luminaries and the Midas Mighty.